Nate, you are muted. Are you there, sir? This is uh, God punishing me, folks, because I actually said to Nate when he asked about using the technology here, I said to him that it's all very intuitive and it should be easy. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's, yes. it's intuitive. I, I was just tweeting it out there at the end, <laughs> but I didn't I didn't get any kind of notification from you. So I had to go through and, and search you out. But uh, as it was somewhat gratifying to see you have to go through all this, because literally every single live room I posted on any platform has had the exact same issues. Oh, my God. I was flailing. I gave the worst answer to port. You Yang asked me a question on how they get better or they get uh, the NBA gets more money um, even when the uh, viewership's dropping. I know that topic inside and out. I gave my worst explanation I've ever given of it. I was so frazzled. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's the worst, too. And again, this isn't anything against Colin because all the apps have this problem. The fact that you can't actually just start the room privately with get the people in there that you need to make sure all the tech is working and then go live is just like utter laziness from a programming perspective. <laughs> so there you go. That is the first take of the night from Nate. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I look forward to seeing how this goes, Nate. I was preparing legitimate basketball questions for you. I was looking for a palate cleanser. I had the great Steve Kornacki on my podcast and I put it up today and I was very happy to do that because he's an expert in political trends, but I was thinking, Eh, it's a little too much of the politics. I've got to counterbalance with just pure basketball. But now you're telling me that you want to talk about my articles and pull me back into controversy land. Is is that the case? Yes, it is the case. I, you, well, you and I text about your articles all the time, and I've posited the idea that I might be an ombudsman <laughs> of sort for you because – I, while I think you, you know, I probably agree with like sixty or seventy percent of what you write, or so, and I think you're you're filling an important lane. I'm also just a, as your friend, I'm glad to see you enjoying what you're doing, and I think that it's been liberating for you to feel like you can talk about the things that, that you want to talk about, uh, and you're filling out a nice lane here. On the other hand, I think that because you are in that lane, that sometimes. You, you know, there's a feeling that you're, you're like you, what you're doing is controversial because you're kind of pushing back on things from either side of the aisle, et cetera. And so you're going to get the people who are just like shitting on you because you're going against whatever their orthodoxy is. And, you know, you rightly ignore those people. But also there's there can be legitimate criticisms of what you're talking about, where a lot of people, I think, are just like, yes, finally, this is in the lane that I am looking for. And so but then those people are like eating it up with a spoon as well. So I think the, you, there could be a little bit of legitimate discussion, shall we say, about there, there, there could be. Wait, no, wait, I disagree. That's the, the first disagreement. I am correct about everything. And uh, dissent, <laughs> dissent shall be crushed. I mean, I, it is a funny thing, though communicating in the social media age because people do go into it in that good faith way of wanting to really countenance the counter arguments, but then they get, they wind up in quicksand and they're just arguing over Twitter, which is a terrible medium to do it. And it isn't too productive. I think for a lot of people, for somebody like yourself, I think you, 
you can do it with a good degree of balance um, and detachment. But for a lot of people, not so much. And so there is this sense of self PR that you are better off just making your argument and walking away from it. And hey, whatever will be, will be. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't suit my purpose here. It doesn't help me. It's not efficient for me to be constantly talking about whatever I just talked about. That being said, this is the best format to do it, right? Sure. This format is a great one. Um, If this was the format, uh, I would generally go with it. Now, I don't know if I want you necessarily to be uh, my ombudsman. I I would want a worse ombudsman so I could look better. So that's another consideration (laughs) to think about. Well, let me ask you this. Yes. What what would you consider, I mean, on some of your articles or just your overall work since you you started the House of Strauss Substack, what are some of the, the most legitimate criticisms that you've gotten where you felt like, oh, this is actually a good point or Maybe I should change this after hearing or or have there been no such criticisms that you're aware of? I think anything in the realm of COVID is where I'm least confident. I I have my opinions on it, but I'm not a scientist. And even scientists have been continually confounded by how this is evolving. And additionally, there's another consideration where I worry just about talking about it too much because people's lives are saturated with that. And so I I sometimes wonder if that's really what they're looking for. So um, on something like what I wrote on Kyrie, uh, I think that he should be able to play home games, right? I'm not incredibly confident in that point of view. I, I have that point of view, but but, well, when, but isn't, yeah. isn't that a more of a moral stance than a scientific one? Um, I'm not sure I would even call it a moral stance. It's more, there's an element of uh, security theater to a lot of the rules and restrictions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I will agree with you on, on this, right? Nobody is any safer. I would say, by Kyrie Irving not playing this this game, you know, specifically just looking at the the direct consequences of him potentially infecting people, I, I would say it's probably not the case at this point. Everyone around him is vaccinated, and maybe he would be infectious for a little bit longer than if he weren't vaccinated. But there's there's probably not a ton of real safety that's being created by this now. If the entire team were unvaccinated, then maybe, right? Then you you might get to the point. And if a bunch of the staffers were unvaccinated. So in some ways, Kyrie is able to freeload off of everyone else already being vaccinated. And now his not being vaccinated isn't a threat. Mm. Uh, and so that's so he's benefiting from this rule that everyone else has to adhere to. And yeah, I mean, that. That was worked great for a lot of diseases, right? The unvaccinated people are there are so few of them that the fact that they're dumbasses who aren't getting vaccinated ends up not hurting everybody. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that there's, you know, I, I basically view it that way. Uh, but it's it's this other thing of it's this other thing of he's obviously, as you're saying, not very vulnerable to this. And I think I would at least like a conversation where we were admitting that much. There's something frustrating to me 
about having a conversation where that much isn't being admitted, where when people engage in this topic, it's like they're just PR for one perspective. I'd have much more trust in somebody who said he should get vaccinated, but he doesn't need to. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. The, 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 but, well, again, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a tragedy of the commons as well. And I think there's also something just to the idea of, and I have one other reason too, that I, yeah, that I think it's it, it's important that he be vaccinated, but it's, it's just this idea that essentially Kyrie Irving is freeloading uh, off of everyone else. And that's, that that's what I think is, is kind of bothersome. And then the other thing is he's really uh, like, the, this is something that as a society we are doing, right? We have to do this. All of us are doing our part by getting vaccinated, not potentially showing up at the hospital, not potentially spreading this to as many people when, and you still have about a 20% chance of getting infected, even though you can now get infected with Omicron, you have a 20% mm -hmm. as much of a chance as unvaccinated person for getting infected. So spreading it around and you know, potentially all the negative societal consequences that we might see there. And then finally, just that as again, it's just good to have incentives for everyone to get vaccinated because otherwise they won't. And that's that's important. It is important for society well, that everyone be vaccinated. Do you ever get the sense nobody articulates it publicly that they propose the one size fits all because anything more is more complicated and the campaign for it falls apart? That if they start saying, yeah, but if you're in your 20s and you're healthy, you know, you don't really like they, they, there's a worry. I feel I would call it a little paternalistic, I think. And that's why it's such a broad message. Uh, yeah, I think that that might be the case to some degree, but it, it just wouldn't be realistic to have this more narrowly tailored restriction like you're talking about. That could also even run into some potential legal challenges as well. And there still is the idea that unvaccinated people are more likely to acquire and spread the virus than vaccinated people. And I think it's also worth noting as well that this rule came in with the Delta variant, which was more deadly than Omicron is, and also, frankly, easier to stop from spreading. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm in favor of the rule. I think it should be two. I mean, the, the whole point of the rule, honestly, the reason it's only one was that it's really just supposed to be an incentive, right? It's like, hey, you get your vaccination, your first dose, and then you can go to the club that night. You know, So that wasn't necessarily based in health. That's more just about an incentive. We can argue about whether that's a good idea or not. But I do think that that's that that's part of it is this is an incentive to get vaccinated, an important one. And obviously, he's not going to do it because it's costing him $17 million and the right mm. to play in these games and stuff. But most people, it is. And and yeah, I mean, I do think there is some of the idea that, hey, you shouldn't get a free pass here. He's a member of our society, just like everyone else. Yeah. And you know, a similar situation with uh, Djokovic. Uh think that's how to pronounce it i'm not a tennis uh obsessive down in australia uh the sense of uh you're not above everybody else that's that's part of the theme even if you yourself this has nothing to do with protecting you as an individual i mean i didn't necessarily think we were going to engage in this particular topic but i do remember you had a tweet nate you have one of those tweets of yours uh that people got mad at uh in this particular sphere and i remember reading the tweet and thinking 
I don't see what the big deal is, but people were angry. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is this, what, this was it the one? Was it the one where I was like, yes, having looked at the NBA's protocols, I would feel comfortable going to the bubble. Uh, was it that one. I, I think this was more recent than the bubble, and it was about how you want more of a return to normalcy and for them not to shut it down. It was in that realm. I saw people got angry about it. Oh, I, oh no. I yeah. think, I think it was just that like, I, I don't think that they should uh, limit fans at arenas at this point yeah. that I agreed with what Adam Silver said in his interview with Millie Kandrick. I think it was that. I think if you framed it exactly as agreeing with Adam Silver, it might have not gotten such backlash. But <laughs> the backlash confuses it confuses me a bit because there's so much anger, so much anger for that position rather than, I don't know, uh, this is why or this is what. It just feels almost like a lot of people are locked in a 2020 mentality or even a 2021 mentality when it comes to this. And they're not reckoning with the new reality, which is that it is absolutely... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say unstoppable, but I want a more gravitas. So I was looking for inexorable. Yes, that makes me sound smarter. Let's go yeah. with inexorable. <laughs> no, I, I think that a lot of people are struggling with that. And obviously when you've been rightfully in many cases scared of something for years, I mean, I, I didn't go out. I had a ton of protocols. I was like, I'm not going to get this thing until I'm vaccinated. And then once I was vaccinated, I felt fine to just kind of go out and start living my life again because I didn't think that the the consequences of getting COVID were really going to be that bad. And I thought the I, I was missing out on more and that that was the the bigger issue for, for me personally. But other people have, have a, a different calculation. And so it's this is a new situation here. And we're also kind of in this tough period before the antivirals become available. And uh, you know we're, we're having all these societal shutdown stuff. Um, that's probably enough on that though. I, I yeah, guess. yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody, this topic, they've had enough of it. They hear about it all the time. What they really want, what the public is really into is, is more of your, uh, sharp critiques of my recent articles that aren't this, you know, that's really what the public's all okay. about. <laughs> so, uh, is, is, uh, end of men, is that your most popular article so far? Yes, I would say that. Uh, and, and I agreed with a lot of that. I think that the, the new Nike ads are pretty terrible. Not that any ads should, really should I matter that much, I think. Should I recapitulate for the audience, you know, give them a little rundown if they haven't read it? I, I mean, I think most of them. Yeah, yeah. go, yeah, go okay. ahead. I, so I'm a giant sexist. No. <laughs> no <it's> basically, <laughs> the article is on how the new Nike ads are – uh, very much emphasizing, not just emphasizing women, but are a little bit, I would say, harsh towards men, just oddly, weirdly, in a way that I don't think is charismatic for an ad campaign, and how uh, how something would happen like this when two-thirds of Nike's customers are men. It's a very curious dynamic, and there's an element of cultural there's an element of business because I, I called it the undecided whale phenomenon where right. the company, if they have a lock on a market, um, you would think they'd focus on that lock, but they've already got that locked down. And there's this embedded growth principle in a major corporation where you always have to be growing. So what are you going to do? You're going to think about that vast market you haven't gotten yet, the undecided whale that could come swimming up to you. So for the NBA for a while, it was China. Um, and for Nike, I think they look at, they, they say, Hey, we're one of the biggest, if not the biggest apparel company in the world. Most apparel customers are women. If we can 
somehow get a beachhead into that massive market, oh my, you know, we are going to be richer than God. So I think there's an element of that. And there's an element of how they had a bunch of sexual harassment uh, suits and scandal. And so they externalize the shame of that. And it becomes part of their output, which is a funny thing that happens. And it's all coalesced in making ads that are super cringe versus the ads of Nike Yore, which were quite charismatic and irreverent and fun. So that's the recapitulation. Yeah, so I think I agree with you. The ads suck. Uh, I don't know how much ads even matter anymore. At this point, at least like TV long ads isn't if we're talking about like Instagram ads or something. I mean, I don't know who who still watches actual TV ads. I I guess that's Mm -hmm. it doesn't doesn't seem like those resonate. You know, there's no Budweiser frogs these days, (laughs) which which was a terrible. They they made a sitcom with with Spuds McKenzie as a character back in the heyday of beer ads. But you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, though. I thought it went just like maybe 20% too far for me. Like, I, I do think that the ads aren't good, uh, that they're how much they actually serve their purpose and just like getting people excited and feeling good about the brand and the idea of being lectured to when that's your entire thing. That, that's, I don't think that's really the, a great way to sell stuff, but I thought it went a little far in characterizing it as the end of men and characterizing it, the new ads as necessarily anti-men. I, I thought that was going like a, a little bit too far in explaining this phenomenon a little bit too glibly for my test. Well, but I would counter with the Nike ad that dismissed all of the exploits of human history as just the patriarchy <laughs> in between calling Alexander the great Alexander uh, the just okay, you know, the ads well, are fairly, yeah. fairly, uh, I would say, triumphalist uh, when it comes to one gender over the other, but, which, again, is a yeah. weird thing to do, including saying dreaming of a day when the WNBA supplants the NBA in popularity. So uh, I would say that that's a reaction to what they were saying. And I know it's not fashionable in media circles to take people at their words sometimes when they're engaging in a little bit of radical chic, but that is the perspective that is being conveyed there. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I still see that as anti men though. Uh, I mm. mean, I think it, it, it could, that it, that that's really th- that they are thinking like, okay, men are bad when they're doing that. Right. I, I always try to think oh, on, in these situations when we're criticizing people, you know, whether it's a basketball coach or, or something like what is their perspective? Like nobody wakes up. Yeah. Nobody wakes up and looks in the mirror and goes, I'm the bad guy and I'm just doing terrible shit. You know, nobody thinks that. Yeah. So, so yes. yeah. And, and nobody, nobody in these meetings is like, yeah, well, fuck men. They might be thinking that this is what many of their male customers actually want or that this is at least Mm. good signaling to them or that this is a way to just appeal to women and that men won't care you know i I think it's it's more likely something along those lines than that hey you know what like let's ah fuck men we're not we we don't really need to to bother with them anymore and and in fact it's fine if we antagonize them for maybe the nuance there would be they think they can remake men into something else with their soccer ads against what they call toxic masculinity um uh, which i think they did more of uh, on the european continent or at least in the uk and it's this sense i would say it's still not exactly something that i'm uh, warming up to 
where that men are flawed and we need to deprogram men. Maybe that's not existential. Maybe that's not the end of men, but they are clearly communicating in their ads that they think something is wrong with men. And well, yeah, 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 go ahead. Sorry. And, and I think, you know, that is what they believe. I mean, that's, I, I, I see no reason to think otherwise. Well, so is the, the ad where, uh, I, I forget the, the soccer player's name where he's sort of ha, ha, is being told is it, all is these it Marcus things. Rashford? Am I right about that? That, that, sounds, that, might, that, sounds that familiar, might, yeah. might be wrong. But, I don't know. Yeah. But it's still, is that, why is that an anti-men ad? When they're uh, haranguing about toxic masculinity and saying that we need to turn over a new leaf. Well, I guess from one perspective, it's not necessarily an anti-men ad. It's an anti-bad men ad, right? Um, that would be the argument that it is yeah. it, it is the old guard. You know, if anything, it's mostly an anti older people ad if you're uh bringing the premise that the old way of doing things the classic soccer and it was a working class cockney accent who was representing this old soccer ball who was saying all these you got to be tough you got to you know be selfish and you know hit them and whatever um so it's definitely an older anti-older guard but why is it an anti-men ad i think the question would be would you ever make that about women you know, would you ever make that ad that, you know, we need toxic femininity. We need, we need toxic women to really clean themselves up. You know, enough of this, this is how we're selling our product to women. I mean, I don't, but, think well, I, don't I don't think there is toxic femininity. There's, and there is toxic masculinity. Like that, it, that definitely is a thing. I, I think there's, it, it's, it's fair to say that, I mean, there are some people who would say, no, this is actually pro men. This is pro men's mental health. Like men shouldn't, mm treat each other this way that it's actually there's a better way as as we become more aware of legitimate not ben simmons but like legitimate mental health issues guys like kevin love and demar DeRozan. that you know actually no it is possible to find a better way to help encourage performance and yet you could do it without being a huge dick yeah i can't i think what gets complicated here and what i was arguing in the article is this there is such a thing as toxic masculinity like that, that exists. And there is a toxic element of it and elements of it are also quite charismatic and elements of it build bridges and skyscrapers. And I don't think our society right now is reckoning with that or able to really embrace all that complexity. And instead of just having a message of, you know, don't be a dick. Don't be an asshole. You know, that's a message that we should get. That's a, obviously a message people should get. Be, you know, be be kinder. Don't be a dick. Don't be an asshole. These are messages everybody could get behind. But once you start saying that that will to conquer, that selfishness that's being criticized in the soccer ad is toxic masculinity and it's time to purge it. I'm sorry. That's also what people love about Michael Jordan. That's what people love about Kobe Bryant. I mean, these guys are cruel. They are cruel. They're cruel not just to the opponent. They're cruel to their teammates. And in the end, there's something about it that people are drawn to, that they recognize as part of what makes civilization go. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the article connected, because it wasn't just necessarily Nike's being mean to men. It was also a recognition that Nike and perhaps so many of our cultural um, are just cultural sectors have lost the plot and don't really understand 
you know, how a lot of things happen. I mean, they, I think that's that's ultimately what I was saying. But I can definitely see the other perspective of the people who make such an ad thinking, we're just trying to clean men up and trying to get men to be better. Yeah, or even just that there's a, another way to succeed in sports other than just by being a dick all the time and like trying to be a little bit more supportive that there are maybe some of the other ways of leading. And I think that's for, as an example for younger kids playing sports in particular, you know, I, I think that that can be helpful. Like I, everyone else has their, has their own way of succeeding. You know, Tim Duncan was a great leader and Bill Russell were, was a great leader without doing the MJ Kobe thing. Um, Steph Curry is a great leader without doing that. Like it is possible to be a good leader Without that, now, w- whether this this idea that, oh, it's Michael Jordan being a dick to his teammates, is that's that's why he's so popular. It is I, what I, we I might call the, toxic like, masculinity. In reverse layoffs. Personally, it, I, I thought th- it is, th- scoring it, 30 a game, that's like, kind of what I, I, I thought. The, the unparalleled basketball artistry and uh, yeah. winning six championships, I, I kind of thought it was that more than that he uh, told Scott Burrell what a wuss he was. Well, I would say what was interesting is that the Jordan rules comes out and Michael Jordan thinks it destroys his reputation. And if anything, it seems like the public loves him even more when it reveals that side of him. I would, you know, maybe yeah. Michael Jordan. You can't of- really measure that though. Honestly, I, I don't think there's a way to really say it, to really go back and measure. Okay. What difference did the Jordan rules make in terms of Michael Jordan's popularity? And, and yeah. how many people even read that book? In, well, it was it was a bestseller. I mean, yeah. back in the day, people watched Spuds McKenzie and people read about Michael Jordan. It was a much different world back then. Um, I would say Draymond Green, Draymond Green, Nate. Draymond, how much less charismatic is he as a force if there's not some sort of harsh hyper-masculinity there? No, I, I think that's, that's he is more charismatic and he, he's someone who's kind of punched above his weight in terms of endorsement and media and stuff. Now he's also a very smart guy as well. And he's engaging and he's funny and he's interesting. Um, uh, do we have a caller? Do we take a call? Yeah. yeah. We'll take, we'll take this area. Yeah. And everybody can jump in and they can, uh, by all means call in. That's what the app is called. Let's make a the next caller. This is where I filibuster for a few seconds until they're officially on the line. Yes. Yes. What mission are you on, Yasserian? <laughs> How's it going, Ethan? <laughs> hey, man. Um, so, yeah, just a uh, great conversation. I just wanted to, to follow up on the, the discussion of, you know, toxic masculinity, toxic femininity. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, as the father of a teenage daughter, I can tell you there's definitely such a thing as toxic femininity. Um, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's different than toxic masculinity for, you know, unsurprising reasons. But, um, you know, I would encourage you and, and everybody to read, um, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff's book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Um, mm. I think they touch on it somewhere there, but like female, female aggression tends to be reputational, right? It tends to be girls talking about each other behind their back about forming clicks and exclusion exclusion is a huge part of it right so mm. um you do you know there is there is that and i've i've seen my own daughter be subject to it and it's you know one of the problems that we have is that male aggression doesn't scale very well in, on the internet i mean you can make death threats and call people names and stuff but there's no you know male aggression tends to be much more 
personal and physical. Yeah, yeah, men, we're doing it. We're doing yeah. it here. This is, this is our, our aggression. Yeah. All right. Let's right. Own it. But, but, I want to I want to interject the observation that male aggression doesn't scale well is a great way to put it. And I've never thought about it in those terms, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I Gen- 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 Genghis Khan might, might have a little, little something to say about that. Yeah. But again, that was back in the day where you could conquer civilizations and yeah. Spuds McKenzie was a thing and people were Genghis, the Genghis Khan. I mean, Donald Trump might have something to say about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Genghis, yeah. Genghis, Khan, Genghis Khan was pure analog, man. Pure analog. He was not at all digital. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's true. So I wish they could take credit for this, but I think it's actually Jonathan Haidt uh, who, who made this observation, but it, it rings true in my experience. But so male aggression obviously can have a, a dimension in, in on the Internet, but female aggression does scale very well on the Internet. Right. So that the girl who gets excluded, you know, in middle school is excluded by the, the, the click, you know, comes home and, you know, Back in the day, home was a respite. Home was away from all that. Here she logs on to Facebook or, or I'm dating myself. No, you know, no, Gen it's X definitely, it's definitely not Facebook. Facebook. Come on. Instagram. Yeah. Instagram. I, I know, I know right. enough about, I, 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 I don't have any kids yet, but I, I know enough about <laughs> teenagers to know it's not Facebook. Yeah, I mean, exactly. but maybe but, it's yeah, like, well, whatever. Where it's social media du jour, whatever, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, or the text you know, group, I think, you know, a, chat, yeah. a text group, you know, they're, they're, they have text yeah. threads and you're you're in it or you're not in it. And so that you don't you can't escape it. And so Heights point is that you're seeing, you know, a large rise in in female mental health issues over the last 10 plus years. And, and he attributes much of it to to the rise of social media because it does allow girls to continue to torment each other on the, in the digital space. And he said, you know, as he says, if you give a boy a phone or, you know, an internet connected device, he's going to play a video game. If you give a girl mm-hmm. an internet device, she's going to log on to social media. Well, it, you know, I'm just thinking back to it. and Man, I had no idea our conversation was going to go in this direction. And I apologize to people who thought we were going to talk about John Morant, but I'm very interested in what we're discussing. Um, when they made Mean Girls, which I think was describing this phenomenon, Nothing of what's happened in that movie or what was happening in that movie has anything to do with the modern technology. There was a three-way phone call where they were bullying one of the girls, and that was the way technology was used. But now it's just, I mean, it's enveloping. It seems terrifying. I, I'm sorry I extend my uh, my apologies to your daughter because you come home from school and you can't even get away from it. So, yeah, I think that's a thing. It seems almost it like society doesn't know what to do with that thing or address that thing. So, or maybe yeah. it's not as fashionable too, but it's definitely a thing. So, so I, my thought on this is, is just obviously I'm not an expert on what it's like to, to be a, a teenager overall. I'm generally loathe to ascribe. Wait, 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 I'm going to interject credit. again, Nate, yeah. we are professional teenagers. You know, we have taken jobs <laughs> where we live a protracted adolescence. So you are an authority. Continue. Um, yeah, so I, I I I am a little bit loath as someone as an adult to be like the sky is falling among teenagers and you know who, what's going on with these kids and like you know we, we would have never would have done this and blah blah like okay yeah but also you know today's kids smoke way less and teen pregnancy is way down and, and stuff like that but so I just generally am wary of any kind of new technology is ruining the new generation sort of 
calls. But and then the other thing that of this conversation that just gives me a little trepidation is that I just don't like stereotyping any problem as the result of being a cer- certain sex or a certain race. And I think now, yes, I think that there are issues that uh, afflict certain groups more than others. And it's important to know that, but it's also just that it's, it should be talked about more in a way of just, here's what the conduct is, or here's what the problem is. It's not necessarily a result of being a certain sex or race. And I think that that's, it's just too, it leads to stereotyping too easily to be, okay, this is, this is what toxic femininity is. This is what toxic masculinity is. I think it's just better to talk about the conduct rather than characterizing it as uh, yeah, uh, but there are to a but, there, but there are differences between men and women. I mean, there have been books. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. I mean, they are equal, but there are definitely attitudinal differences. I mean, there's not a country on Earth where there are more female sports fans than male sports fans. So it just yeah, seems. To I have just enough, don't yeah. think that that really adds a ton to the conversation, though, to break it out like that like you can just you can talk about the problem without it having to be I, I think the downsides of that are greater than the upsides of being able to stereotype like humans do that fine on their mm-hmm. own i think that you can you can still say you know okay this this country is authoritarian and this one isn't or whatever issues you want to talk to uh, about it I, I think it's just and yeah if you're talking about demographics like you know, more men watch sports than women. Fine. You know, I got no problems with that. But if you're just talking about negative conduct or social problems and ascribing that to being, you know, more likely to be part of a certain race or sex. I, I just don't think that that. Oh, I wouldn't conflate. I think it's kind of a different thing. I, if you're race versus sex, I mean, sex is a basic difference um in species i mean we're a sexually dimorphic species there are 90 percent of the people who kill people are men right and 90 percent when they look at chimpanzees who kill other chimpanzees are males right i don't think it's because that the chimpanzees are watching arnold schwarzenegger action movies and getting bad ideas it just seems (laughs) like on average there are you know differences and it makes people uncomfortable and it's very fraught and i agree with you that we shouldn't be lazy with such stereotypes um but should we not talk about it i I think we should we should and it's uh, quite a a good subscription business model to occasionally discuss it i think uh Yesterian, that was great stuff. Uh, let us move on. And if anybody wants to talk about, frankly, any anything else, it's yeah, we, we can move on. I think I think we've exhausted this topic. Well, we'll see. This might be poor Vance. I just called him up to the podium. Might be asking a question on this exact topic right after you said that, Nate. You know, okay. we'll, well, we'll see. What, we'll, we'll see. see. If, if he has a good question, then we haven't exhausted it. Or maybe okay. we'll talk about something else. Hey, I was thinking about. I was, I was just going to say you kind of brought it up that um. If you wanted to describe um, what the characters of the toxic, you know, whatever is for this um, century, you say the, the the fictional character image of toxic masculinity could be Walter White, and the mm. fish in the fictional character of toxic femininity would be Regina George. Ah, I like that. Is Walter White toxic? Is he the most toxic? I mean, it could be another bald guy from a prestige cable uh, show. It could be Vic Mackey um of the shield right you know that's a potential option right there i mean that's another thing just randomly free associated it seems like the greatest television programs of recent 
of the recent epoch are uh, toxic toxic male leads are very flawed. Tony Soprano, Vic Mackey, Walter White. Um, yeah. Okay. That's something to think about. Let's go with Scott who had a question. Scott was going to help me filibuster before you got here, Nate. I've got to take his call. I got to see what he's going to say. Scott, Scott. Hey, I appreciate you noticing that. I was hopping in. You were, you're struggling uh, a bit there. Not your I was fault, dying, but, uh, dude. I was dying. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> it. You handled it well. Um, yeah, I, I guess now as a basketball normie going from, you know, on the Warriors beat, just curious, uh, Ethan, what you thought about Clay's comeback. And on a related note for Nate, was curious if you ever watch basketball for kind of pure enjoyment or you or like every time you watch a game, are you only able to be in your kind of analytical mind frame or yeah, are you able to sit down and enjoy a basketball game? Mm, okay, well, I'll start right there on Clay's return and being a basketball normie. I watched it after it happened because I had to out normie normiedom um, and take my son to a monster truck rally. Uh, so uh, it, I didn't know at the time that it, I got those tickets that it would be Clay Thompson's return. So I watched it later. Um, I didn't necessarily feel all the feelings everybody was talking about. Um, I thought it was, it was nice. I, I think there was a lot there, right? Because the last time clay was on a court, uh, it was a very different world. Right. And so there's a powerful punch of nostalgia. I was impressed by how he moved. I was impressed by how he played. I'm curious to know Nate's breakdown of that because Nate's very, uh, no mercy, no malice when it comes to that stuff of how good a guy looks and if he looks completely healthy and he looks totally back. So I was very, very impressed by it. That was my that was my response, and I'm glad that people had a good time watching it. Yeah, I think he looked he looked pretty good for the like he he's passed the eye test at least of there are no obvious problems. Now you never know, right? He could be shooting thirty percent from three two months from now, and you're like, hey, you know, did he really make it back or it, you know, maybe he's, he's can't create as much separation on his ISOs, which he does a fair amount of still. But uh, yeah, I think he looks like you know about what you would have expected age thirty one Clay Thompson to look like, and certainly a guy who's going to be able to help the Warriors win basketball games. Maybe he's not going to be the second best shooting guard in the NBA, but if he's the sixth or seventh best shooting guard in the NBA, th- that's pretty good. So I think it was pretty encouraging. And then take the second question of just. Can I watch games for funny? I actually did that last night. Now, I will end up actually talking about a couple of those games on the pod. I'm going to record as soon as I get off here with Ethan. But I wasn't sitting down with the idea of like, yeah, I'm going to watch games and I have to record on these. I got to take notes. One thing that's actually helped me enjoy games more, too, is I start when I'm watching games, I'll just take voice notes to myself so that I don't have to like stop it or break my concentration to write something down. It's just easier to take a voice note and then just re-listen to it. You know, it ends up being like a seven or eight minute document and then I'll just uh, transcribe it later, use an auto transcription and then use that as my notes. And so that allows me to kind of just sit in there and experience the game a little bit more than if it's like, okay, I got to write down every single thing I'm seeing or I won't remember it for later. I enjoy watching Nate watch a game. 
that's something that I miss because I haven't been to Chase uh, as a sub stacker. And uh, it's it's enjoyable to sit next to Nate, who will have a running commentary and have observations in the moment. Uh, frankly, it's inspired me to just go a different direction. I cannot observe the game on that level, and I don't even want to keep up. So uh, does that answer your question, Scott? Yeah, it does. I, actually, I was wondering, Nate, are you and Danny still doing kind of live calls of the game? I know I followed some of the playoff ones from last year. Is that something you guys are still doing? Yeah, we're still doing that on Mondays for NBA League Pass. We have a game every Monday, so it's and you actually just it's in the NBA League Pass app. You just click on it, you get to just it's a seamless experience. You don't have to sync up or anything. It's just you watch the game and we're your announcers instead of the normal announcers. Awesome, I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, I mean, I think so, Ethan's arc yeah. um, to eat. Sorry, I was gonna say to Ethan's arc on ratings. I think that could be a big unlock potentially is somehow getting to watch what you actually want to hear. Uh, I'll, mm. I'll leave out the, the, the fits, uh, easy, uh, but I don't know if I could watch with the athletic or uh, the guy, the crew over the athletics would be a lot of fun. Um, uh, but I, I don't know how, I'm sure there are some issues with rights and all that. To, to well, that, I'll you, give you a, a Bob Fitzgerald. Yes, sir. To that proclamation. Um, yeah. I, I actually use that too sometimes, but, um, but Scott, let me ask you this. Would you watch games that you weren't ordinarily going to watch because there were the announcers that you wanted to listen to? Oh yeah. I a hundred percent would. I mean, even, even getting, you know, entertaining folks like Amin, like I was like just calling random Knicks games. Like I would actually watch that. I have no desire to watch any non warriors regular season game other than some Lakers hate watching, but you know, if you can make it feel like you're just hanging out with your friends, like I would totally tune in for that. The the only issue for me is that I do a lot of time shifting. Like I have YouTube TV, so I'll I just yeah. have all the Warriors games recorded, and I have a one and a half year old, so it's just kind of whenever he goes to bed, I watch the game. So I think that's that was actually the tricky part, and it worked okay with you and Danny. I forget which app that was. Sorry, there's a few of them, but Hot trying Mike to line is the up most the audio. recent one. Yeah, okay. Hot Mike works great actually. We're, yeah, we're yeah, gonna, we'll do Mike. more. Yeah. We'll do more on that this this playoffs probably. Oh, cool! Yeah, that worked okay. It was, the only tricky part was I would I skip through commercials and sometimes free throws. I mean, I wouldn't do free throws if I was listening to that to yeah. a live audio with you guys. But it, kind of the resyncing every ten fifteen minutes that wasn't ideal. But I would still for a big game, especially just potentially do it live if I could. Yeah, well, well, awesome. Thanks for the support. I'm glad that you you yeah. found it useful. Yeah, it is. If you're if you're watching later and you want to skip stuff, but yeah, it's not it's not perfectly ideal. Um, yeah, awesome. yeah. Okay. okay, okay. Well, thanks so much, Scott. We'll take Rob. Okay, okay, okay. Raymond Ritter, <laughs> Warriors any, any, PR guy. <laughs> any more? Any more questions here? What last one here for Nate? Uh, Rob, that's Rob. Not, yes, not, yes. Not not actually the last one, but that's okay. um so i had one basketball basketball question and one sort of world around basketball question do do you think we got time for both or just yeah man we got we got time we started late we got time okay um where would you rank russell westbrook's peak amongst point guards all time oh let's see that's a tricky one i i I, I could see missing people but here so who's clearly ahead of him magic oscar Oscar. uh, Steph. steph steph curry 
I don't know. Um, is there anyone else who's uh, Nash? Nash would be. Is ahead Nash of him. clearly ahead of him? Yes. Yeah, I would say read uh, Ben Taylor's um, breakdown of Steve Nash on uh, backpicks.com, and I think you'll you'll be convinced that he was love- just the engine for those Suns offense. Yeah, I mean- basically, it was was unbelievable. Um, he he was a much more of an offensive ceiling raiser than Russ. Did, did and I don't Jason, know that Russ that much. Yeah. Jason Kidd? Is Jason Kidd's peak I, I better? I think Russ was better than Kidd. I, I would agree with that. I probably would too. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I think like for me, Russ, you know, probably peaked as, you know, maybe the sixth, seventh, eighth best player in the league. I would have him around that range. It seems about right. And the other question, Rob. Uh, yeah. So, um, I work, uh, so I work part time, um, off the time of my regular job for a Canadian TV, fantasy sports and sports betting network. Um, and I was curious. Um, like, what do you think it would take for fancy basketball to become more a part of the popular consciousness? Oh God. Okay. I, uh, some people disagree with me on this. I hate the counting of turnovers. I, I just, I hate it. And that might not be the number one problem. That might not be the number one issue, but I think they just got off on the wrong foot. And that's part of why it never rose to, uh, just total significance because counting a negative category as one category as the equivalent a dearth of turnovers equivalent to points scored i've always found that to be ridiculous any sort of system you had that made sean marion the most valuable player back when sean marion was good to be clear but it made him the most valuable player in fantasy basketball you're not mirroring the actual quality of what's happening in the sport so that's my answer is just better categories, some system that doesn't include turnovers. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is just there are way too many games and that they're not consistent. I think if you just had two games a week for every team, fifty. this is what I've proposed for a long time, 58 games, do it over 29 weeks. Each team plays the other team, every other team twice. And that if you, you know for sure that each guy's team is going to play – Two games we like now you have this shit where it's like oh well it, you know I have this guy but he's only playing two games this week I gotta start this other guy who's playing for it. it's just it's too complicated for people right and and setting your lineup every single night that's too difficult right fantasy football it's accessible to people it's only now seventeen weeks and the scoring system is pretty easy to understand and. You can auto draft it, even if you're not really a huge football fan, and you can still be in it and talk about it over the water cooler or whatever the virtual equivalent is. And you just can't do that. You can't play fantasy basketball as a casual. And so you you could play. You'd have to have week week to week matchups with the other people in your league, and it would just have to be something where it was much easier to do it without. Like having to set your lineup every day, that's just, it's not something that a casual can do or has time for. So to, to me, I think it, the biggest thing would be shortening the season two games a week, every week for every team. Yeah, I, I agree with Nate on the scheduling being the biggest hurdle. My proposal to uh, kind of rectify the issue would just be to use optimized lineups where the system would automatically pick whatever players you had playing that night or had the best score that night, put them in your lineup. Um, I, does the NBA know that, like, so I know for us, we don't run NBA content nearly as much as other sports just because with the frequency of the games that the content dies super quickly. 
So if you yeah. put on an NBA betting show, for one, it's impossible to basically get it where entries are going to be accounted for on the show, which is going to be a huge part of how you're betting. Um, and then it's also like you run it out that morning and then people listen to it for four hours and the show becomes completely irrelevant after that. Does the NBA yeah. like get that that's an issue and is there a way around that? Or is that not really talked about as being a problem? Uh, a lot of people are trying to make it clear to the NBA that it's an issue. Um, you know, especially people. I, I, I think they get it. I, I think yeah. they get it. It's just that their problem right now is that they're contracted for 72, 72 games a year minimum of local television. Yeah. And they but can't it, but, change. But the injury transparency issue, a, a situation, for instance, where LeBron James is playing in the finals and he's got a broken hand and nobody knows about it. That's the sort of thing. I don't that, know. Is that really, is it really any better in football? Um, like, like, like the I Patriots think it's a little better, but I, on their injury report every single week for a year for a year, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I yeah. think it's a little better in football, but I don't I don't know if that's um as big of an issue as more just like really like five minutes before yeah. an active. And like those things happen in the NFL too. And I think people kind of just expect it, so it's kind of part of the story of it. Yeah, I've got a lot of gambling thoughts. Um my next article, I think I mean I'm probably gonna stay up late writing it after this is going to be about the NBA and gambling because uh there's something interesting here and this is digressive to what you're saying but they're trying to expand it and open it up as this new revenue stream obviously not just the nba the other sports as well but what a lot of people might not know is that they don't let you really win win and they're presenting it as though everybody can be a winner and the casinos the sports books still operate like they do if you're a card counter at the blackjack table and they lock you out um, and they won't take bets of a certain amount. And so I'm just looking at that situation. Personally, I think that these sports books, if it's going to be so mainstream that everybody in America can make a bet, uh, I think it's it's bullshit uh, for them to do that. And I know that there's no gamblers rights lobbying group out there, but maybe maybe I could start it. Maybe I could start it with my sub stack that we could all get together and say that these sports books Hey, you got to you got to take the bets. You know, you're, you're you're allowed to print money over here and make people destitute off this addictive product. Uh, you you got to be you got to man man up. Speaking of toxic masculinity, and uh, take the bets is what I would say. Yeah, I, I know many people from working where I do that have their third cousins, mother in laws betting account that they're still putting money into because they haven't caught up that them yet. So yeah, oh, it's it's a crazy thing and. These people become professional gamblers. They invest more time in getting the bets down than they do in actually getting an edge on the action. And it's unfair, frankly, to somebody who's just good at betting because you're you're not gonna you're not gonna do that. That's not something you're going to invest a bunch of time and money and energy in. Um, and you're just not gonna be allowed to bet on these NBA games or any of these other sports. Uh, if you're a little bit too good at winning, I know that's the way casinos have done things for a while, but I just, I think it's absurd. It also fuels a black market. Uh, there are a ton of bookies who will take action. That's where a lot of sharps make their money is off the underworld of bookies. Um, and that's not necessarily a good thing to be, uh, to be helping along. So I'm going to have an article on it. Um, I have no idea. It, it might be something that a lot of people, uh, resonate to, and it might be so fringe, uh, that nobody reads it, but it's a topic of interest for me. Yeah. Um, 
you know, kind of all I had uh, for the gambling stuff. I do think that I think one thing that they could change too is with just the messaging of that and sell it more as a means of engagement instead of as a means of winning money and just tell people, hey, you are going to enjoy doing this much more as you engage in it. Like, yes. If you look at fantasy sports commercials, it's usually like, oh, come here to have fun with your friends. It's not come here to win your friends' money. Oh, and Darren Ravel posts these betting slips of people winning $250,000, and it's, <laughs> to- it's total bullshit. I mean, they don't they don't let you make bets like that unless you're a big loser. That's that's when they let you do it. And then Floyd Mayweather or whoever will post the betting slip, you know, he's allowed to make those whale bets because he's losing so much. That's that gives people a, a wrong impression of what's actually possible when it comes to the betting on sports right now, at least. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, Rob, great questions. Let me take one from Nicholas. We might close out a Nicholas. We shall see. Okay, make next caller. Nicholas, Nicholas, Nicholas. Hello. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Um, question for you, Nate. Uh, mainly around the decision to put most of your content behind a paywall. I understand that when the pandemic, you know, when when that began to emerge, obviously your current business model was clearly interrupted. But, you know, just reflecting on that decision, is that something you regret? Do you wish you'd done that earlier? Do you lament it? Like, I'm just kind of keen to just get your thoughts on on. No, it's it's, it, it's going great, uh, and it definitely was the right decision. I think we kind of made that decision at the right time, in particular just because advertising dollars had dried up. And for those who are interested, I think I still have a pin to the top of my Twitter account of uh, you know, the explanation for why we're doing it. And that's really largely held true. And I think I've, I've enjoyed creating the content more that way. I can also just do do it whenever I want to. I'm not beholden to having an episode drop at a certain day at a certain time. I want to just do a quick 20 minute episode. That's extra. I can do that without messing up the advertising schedule on the regular pod. So I think doing it the way you've done it, where there's still a chance for people to discover it publicly. Um, Also, you know, we have this reduced pricing for people who can't afford the full price, which I think has been good. We've had a number of people sign up for that. We just said, Hey, if you're, if this is the case, you just send us a two sentence email and, and we'll give you the reduced pricing. So no, it's been awesome. I think I I don't think I necessarily should have done it earlier because uh the pandemic kind of was the right time to do it. But I kinda I think the pandemic pushing me into it ultimately was good. I might have stayed public a little bit longer and maybe that wouldn't have been the right decision. So I think it happened right about the exact time that it needed to. Yeah. And I, I might want to do a little jag on uh, the business aspect behind the scenes, if anybody's interested in it, uh, Nate, I, I hope I'm not revealing too much, but it was interesting to me that so many of your regular listeners uh, subscribed immediately when you went behind the paywall, because it does seem to be a big difference from the newsletter, the newsletter industry where you build more slowly. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. And after that, I do want to take one more question because I see Joe and I think Joe is a subscriber and a founding member and I got to take care of my subscribers. But Nate. Yeah. So I think most people who are starting a newsletter, it's just something new and different. Whereas 
the pod, it was we were basically continuing largely the same thing. We've had, had a few made a few differences. I think we've improved the product, but we and also it was basically taking something that had been around for five years and saying, hey, we got to do this now to make it subscription. Whereas I think what you're doing is just a totally new thing, and so you're just going to make more people aware of it over time. I think if you had decided to make this about the Warriors and done the same stuff that you'd been doing, you probably actually would have gotten more subscribers in the beginning, but obviously now you're branching out more. And uh, also you wanted to do this instead of that. So I think that's why there's a, a difference in it. Yeah. I'm not sure why, why there is. It's We talked about the Nike article being a big hit for me. It, I think just in the first couple days of the newsletter, I might've gotten 300 subscriptions and um that was awesome i mean it's like if you're doing lap swimming and you get a good push off the the wall but if i stopped there it would not be enough to live on in the bay area so i've been happy that it consistently builds and when i talked to ben thompson at stratechery who runs that great tech newsletter he says and uh, dom and rangula who uh, is his right hand man they say it's a slow build business and i found that to be the case where it's just building and building every month i hope it builds and builds every year but it was interesting to me that it wasn't it wasn't immediate but thank god it's consistent so we will take a question from joe and it will be the last question joe joe from new zealand how are we boys hey Hey, um, I'm gonna. I've got a. I've got a hoop idea that I kind of wanted to run by Nate. See what do you reckon? So okay, okay. So we've got issues, obviously, with uh, with with teams tanking for spots in the lottery. That's been somewhat abated by the changing of the lottery odds. But I had this idea once where I was like, well, why don't we just? But the issue that everyone has is an unpopular team gets the number one pick, and everyone thinks, oh, that's a stink result. We don't want that. And I thought, well, why don't we just vote on it like they do in Survivor? Imagine if all the NBA teams had one vote each for who got the number one pick and number two pick and so on, and they just voted on who got the number one pick. You could assign voting rights and that sort of thing. Bit of a left-field one for you, Nate, but I thought I'd see what you thought of that. Kind of love it. Oh, man. I, just the unintended consequences of that would be amazing, I think. And, and yeah. it would just be... Um, I mean, I think you would have to have something where it's like, okay, if you got the number one pick one year, now you're ineligible for four years or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it would just probably most of it would come down to which GM do they think is a dick or, <laughs> or was mean to them or something. <laughs> yeah, I think the only downside or the main downside I can think about is the potential for bribery. Um, it, that's the only thing that comes into my, into my mind because these picks, man, I mean, they're, they're not worth a little, uh, they're potentially worth quite a bit. If you have the next LeBron James that can make your, your franchise, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars more valuable, if not more. And so I just wonder about the incentives there. Um, if it's a voting system, because we've seen that with these international bodies, uh, in soccer, at the Olympics, Maybe the NBA has a strong enough culture that nothing like that would ever happen, but that's one thought. But I love it. I mean, the only thing I would add as a note is just I'd want to be able to watch it. If we could somehow watch it all unfold um, and watch them argue for certain teams having the number one pick or whatnot, almost like a United Nations Security Council, I'd be into that. 
Yeah, uh, the idea being you're, well, just, you're supposed to, in theory, vote for whoever needs it the most. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'd like to watch teams grovel. I'd like to watch teams make the case for why they should get it. Do that really tricky political dance of we're horrible and woebegone, but it's not our fault, and here's why. Yeah, but, I but don't fire that. me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> A, a, a lot of the things you're describing as bugs sound a little bit like features to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, but the, the 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 potential for bribery. Well, what if a team just said to like, if, as long as it's above board, say you know the uh, New York Knicks are like, we we really want to draft Zion Williamson. We're willing to pay you the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, fifteen million dollars for your vote, or whatever, mm. you know. Um. Would that not? Would that not perhaps be a way of you know redistributing? The, Here, here's the what I here's what I would say about your idea, and from your lips to Evan Wash's ears, uh, the guy who implements all the crazy ideas that have mostly worked out in the NBA. Um, I think the devil would be in the details, but as they say with mergers, with corporations, I think there's a shape to this deal that could really work. I think that there is a way to get this done. In which it would be, uh, it would be fantastic. But there's also a way to do it in which it would be a disaster. That's my thought. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you did right. There. The the carnage that could ensue would be uh, carnage, but very entertaining. Anyway, thanks for thanks for fielding the question. I know you you you're over. You're over your self-imposed deadline. <laughs> Indeed. We got a little bit of a late start, but thanks so much, Joe. Thanks so much to the listeners. Thanks so much to the callers. You know, there's potential. We might have to have Nate on once a month to be ombudsman. Uh, just, A, to give him the opportunity to pronounce it correctly, and B, because I think we only discussed two of the articles, and C, because I think he's good in the role. So, Nate, what do you think about that? Uh, once a month? Is that too much? <laughs> Once every two months? Once every three? Like what, what, what sort of... Uh, uh, why, don't, why, don't we say, why don't we say regularly? Regularly. Hey, you came to me with this idea, with this role, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I just want to not have to think about being a producer and to uh, God, to be able to just file it away. Once a month, Nate Duncan, ombudsman, but still got to be on my toes. You know, he's going to throw a fastball by my ear. I got to be ready. So... Great talk. Thanks for showing up. Everybody stay safe out there until next week. See ya.